0: Well, good morning. It's good to be uh, with you. Glad you're here. I know some of you here this morning, you, you made it barely. The cold or something's still holding you down. I know we still have some folks out uh, with some kind of something. So unfortunately, it's the season for it. Hopefully it's passed soon. But I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're here. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 this morning, verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Matthew goes on to say, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. I am no uh, artist. It's always amazing to me when you see someone who can look at someone's face and they can sketch, you know, a very accurate representation of that face. You know, and you look like the Renaissance period and all those beautiful oil paintings and looks so real. That, that's so amazing that God's given some people that gift. Uh, and you think about uh, the Mona Lisa, that painting uh, throughout the centuries continues to be very popular. I think it's, it's popular because it's enigmatic. No one knows what was he doing there? Why is she smirking? That's always the question is what's the smirk? Uh, but sometimes you look at it and you don't see the smirk. She looks serious and then you see it again. So it really is a work of art in what he was able to capture uh, in her expression. That's really when you see art that's amazing is something there has been captured uh, when your eyes behold it. And I want you this morning to think about your Christian discipleship in the same way. Um, if it was captured in a portrait, what would your Christian discipleship look like Really? Not what do you think it should look like, but what does it look like? What does your following Jesus look like? Uh, What should be there? What's not there? Right? So if it's a portrait and it needs to be what it needs to be to look like what it's supposed to look like, the question is your life, does it look like Jesus? Maybe, uh, maybe not. But what I want us to see this morning um, is the call that Christ placed, the call of discipleship. He places on each one of us what he expects, the portrait of that discipleship. And then can I hold my life up against that and say, does it does it look similar is what's supposed to be there, there? So, again, it says he calls the 12 to himself there in verse one an authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So if you flash back to chapter 9 where we ended, remember Jesus. Jesus is unique. Remember we said that a couple weeks ago. Nobody's like Jesus. Nobody can teach like Jesus. Nobody can preach like Jesus. Nobody can heal like Jesus. And so we think what the world needs is more Jesus. But Jesus does this outrageous thing. He says, so here's what we got to do. We got to send out more laborers into the harvest. we got to send out more people like you. So Jesus is sticking with his strategy for seeing the kingdom of heaven made manifest among men, and it's to send out laborers despite Jesus' apparent perfections and despite all of the disciples' apparent imperfections. So what we get here in the list of the 12 um, are portraits, if you will, of incredibly normal, uh, incredibly common, um, simple, regular folks. That's who we have in this list. But here we have the Lord's workers. We have the Lord's instruments. We have Jesus, his very own disciples. And to these disciples, he gives for the first time, as we've been wading through Matthew, this is the first time Jesus says, all the power and authority I have to heal cast out demons. I'm giving that to you. Despite their insufficiencies, Matthew says Jesus called them. It means summoned. He summoned these men to himself to do the great work of the kingdom. And Jesus gave these men everything they needed. He equipped them for it. They had no lack in the calling. None of them were qualified But each were called. So what I want to do this morning is kind of the best we can with Scripture. Try to paint a a word portrait, if you will, of who these men were. These not so qualified disciples. And the reason why I think it's worth doing is not because any of these men are worth looking at. They're not. None of these men have something innate in them worth admiring. They don't. But what I believe is this, when we look at their imperfect lives, what we see is God at work doing something greater. We see Christ at work making them and growing them and doing something in them they could never do. And in seeing their lack, perhaps we will see Christ's plenty as a means to the requirements of discipleship. So first thing I want us to see here is this. If we're called to be disciples, it requires... Great faith and courage to follow. I'm going to follow Jesus. One of the requirements is great faith and courage to follow. Verse 2, it says the names of the 12, 12 apostles are these First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Now, notice that word apostle is the first time in the New Testament in the Gospels when the word apostle is used. So it's daunting enough that Jesus said, hey, you know, you got to be a disciple of Jesus. But these men were apostles. An apostle was that unique office. It was someone, 12 of them, they were very close to Jesus. They had direct access to Jesus. Uh, they were given special authority uh, to teach and to preach, to lay the foundation of the church. In the New Testament, uh, many of them would pen uh, scripture that we use. The apostle John says, what we have heard and learned from Jesus, we pass on to you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he gave us first the apostles and then prophets and evangelists and teachers. So really the work of of the apostolic office way back in Acts is foundational for the church that you and I have been for the last 2000 years. So this list is not just disciples. Big deal. We're looking at Jesus taking these men and calling them to the elite office of apostle. So if they're going to be in this elite office, what's the qualification for Peter and Andrew? Well, here's the qualification. They were from Galilee. They were Jews and they were fishermen. And that's it. That, that's all that Peter and Andrew have to stand on. They're regular folks. They have a fishing business, like a family fishing business. And they're, they're Jewish. So that's, just, that's all they had and all they were. And I want us to look at Peter first. And again, if we're looking at the New Testament, we're trying to figure out who Peter is. I think we could say this about Peter. Peter was generally, generally someone with great courage and great faith. Peter was the first disciple to make a confession of Christ as the Son of God among all the disciples. Remember that? Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? They said, Well, people say this. And Peter said, No, you're the Son of God. Peter had the courage to get out of the boat and walk on water. Jesus gave Peter the nickname Peter, Petros, it means rock. Peter claimed he would never forsake Jesus, even if everybody else did. Peter cut off Malchus's ear when they tried to arrest Jesus. At the birth of the church, it's Peter that stands up. Peter's the first revivalist. He preaches and all those people, those thousands come to faith in Christ. And after Pentecost, he's the first person to be really persecuted before the uh, the Jewish government, the Sanhedrin, for proclaiming the gospel. And it says that he did it with Boldness. So what it seems like is, hey, this guy's a real winner. He's living up to that nickname, Rock. What courage, what boldness that Peter had so many times in his ministry under Jesus and then after Jesus' sins. But that's not the whole story. It's not the whole story at all. As much as Peter was full of courage and faith, Peter was a craven coward. And often even his courage was very misguided and bullheaded. Did Peter have the courage to get out of the boat? Yeah, but then he sank quickly because it said he lost his faith in Jesus. Peter claimed he would never leave or forsake Jesus. Yet he denies him three times in a row. He cut off Malchus's ear, but then Jesus rebuked him for using unnecessary brute force. Peter said he would never let anybody kill Jesus. And then Jesus said, you're the devil for saying that to me. Peter, after being pleaded with by Jesus, please stay awake and pray with me in my, in my worst hour, my hour of need. Peter sleeps like a baby. And Jesus is all alone. And many years later, way after Jesus ascends, the Apostle Paul has to verbally rebuke Peter in front of everybody for cowering to the Judaizers who want to manipulate the gospel. So I think you can say, well, big deal if Peter is courageous sometimes. He shows that his courage, it was an imperfect courage. It was often misguided and sometimes absent. So this is discipleship in tatters. This is poor leadership. He wasn't qualified at all to follow Jesus. And you know, the painful thing for you and I this morning, if we're going to be honest, is the same reasons that Peter's unqualified to follow Jesus. Those are the very same reasons we have to deal with for why we are not. The Christian life is difficult. It's very hard. If anyone ever told you it was and they're lying to you, it's hard. It's, it's not a, a shallow swim in a pond. It's like being hit in a hurricane by waves over and over again. Why? Because it's an impossibility for you and I to live like heaven on earth. We cannot do it, it's not in us. Peter failed. Because Peter was a failure. The temptation to to, to self-preserve, it was too great, and so he denied Christ. His faith, too feeble, so he sank beneath the waves. The need to exercise self-control in the face of enemies, it was too far out of his grasp. And just like Peter, friends, when we attempt to live in the flesh for heaven, it will always come up short because it's not there. Almost doesn't count mostly isn't sufficient and near perfect isn't perfect. So I think one person's solution, which would be pathetic and useless, would be say, hey, let's just turn down the knob on what it means to be a disciple. Let's redefine that and make it achievable. But I think you'd have to agree with me. The Christ who called us into heavenly discipleship to be citizens of heaven, he didn't say come as far as you want to come. Come as much as you can achieve. Come and then, you know, change it. No, he said, come up to the place of perfection where I am. You remember way back in the Sermon on the Mount? What did Jesus say? He said, hey, you know, as your heavenly father is perfect, so you must be perfect. So there's only perfect obedience in your station of life. Whatever that is, wherever that is. Courage to stand for the gospel. Conviction to do what's right. Strength in every circumstance to please Christ. And if your head's screwed on straight, you're you're thinking right now, well, it's time to despair because that's not me. There are holes in the portrait, isn't there? And you wouldn't be the only one. The disciples, they despaired at the same thought. Look with me at Matthew chapter 19. Verse 24, Jesus says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible So in Jesus' time, if you were a poor person, you obviously didn't please God or live well. That was the cultural thought. If you were wealthy, obviously you really pleased God because you were so rich and those were his blessings. So they're thinking, we're like poor fishermen and we're following you around. Like, what, what hope is there for us? And Jesus cuts through all their silly ideas about what it means to be loved by God, what it means to be blessed. And Jesus gives this healing to their soul. And it's a healing balm I think you and I need for our soul so often as well. And it's this. Hey. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. It depends on God. The call of discipleship is not a challenge to see who can merit heaven By doing a good enough job, it's a call to depend on Christ who is perfect to make you and I perfect despite our gross imperfections. As much as we fail to be the perfect disciples God demands, Jesus stands in our place. Our courage is small, but we look to Christ who is courageous. Christ who had conviction, Christ who had strength to always preach the truth. He never tried to be popular. He didn't care if people left him and walked away. Jesus was laughed at. Jesus was mocked for what he taught. And Jesus was so convicted of truth and had such courage. He went all the way to the cross in obedience to the father's will and showed himself the one who is obedient, the one who is righteous, the one who is good, the one who has the nerve to please God. Only he could do it. So the great call of Christian discipleship then is not to try it in the power of your flesh. You're imperfect, but come in faith and receive the one who is, is perfect. The Hebrew writer says, if you're going to come to God, you must draw near in faith. And he also says, those who draw near in faith will be made perfect. So if I come to Christ in faith, who he is in his perfection, the promise is he will make me perfect. The Hebrew writer says those who don't draw near in faith cannot please God. So your faith, your willingness to just say, Jesus, I can't do it. Only you can do it. That's your power to do it. That's why Peter, that courage deficient fisherman, took up the call. Dependent on Christ. Do you depend on Christ the same way? I, I hope that's music to your soul. I hope that's a sweet taste in your mouth. That when we come by faith, Jesus is powerful, his blood to forgive us and wash us clean and to keep us going on until we reach the very end. And, you know, I just need to I need to learn that personally. I need to relearn that. I can make it about so many things. Certainly, being in ministry, and I'm just doing, doing, doing. I need to just stop. You know that only this Jesus, He's lived up to God's standard, and He's my power, and He's my courage, and He is my conviction alone. You know, I remember reading Systematic Theology book way back in Bible college, and things this thick. There's one thing that always stuck out to me that the author said. He's, he said, why is it faith? Why is it faith we need? Why that virtue? Why not love? Why not hope? Why not humility? All the things that God could have called us to. And it's this, he says, because faith is that one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. That's why. It's, It's the only attitude of the heart that's the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. My older sister... She uh, recently, I guess she rearranged her kids' bedrooms and they were moving stuff around. So she gave me um, this really, really nice, you know, bed frame. The, it's made of like real wood, which that's rare these days, right? So you know, the headboard and the, the footboard is real wood, really pretty. But the the mattress that came with it is like the shell of a mattress. It, you lay you lay on it and you go straight to the uh, to the box spring, you know, and it's just like match or headboard, nothing foot footboard. I mean. But our kids use it and they don't care. They don't know yet, so it's okay. <laughs> but I, I'm afraid that, that, that oftentimes it's a really accurate picture of a lot of people's Christian discipleship. Like, man, I got saved. That's awesome. I know I'm going to heaven someday. That's cool. But I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in the middle there. It's just like this slump that doesn't exist. And, and I think what it's supposed to look like is a life lived with a lot of faith because I have a lot of faith in the one who is courageous to work in and through me to do what he wants. So When when the Christian life is exhausting or boring it's because we're trying to do it in the flesh can't love God in my flesh it's got to be in faith it's trusting in Jesus that I have power I've just got the spiritual energy to live for him And so I just want to turn us towards Christ this morning I want us to see the portrait of Christ and be empowered in the spirit that that's who I need to do all God's will do you have the moral fortitude to always do right do you have the courage to stand for the whole counsel of God's word do you have strength of faith, faith to trust God without fail? No. No, he don't. But let me say to you, when you come to Christ, you're made perfect in Him and He is your righteousness and He is your goodness before the Father. So just wants to have a humble confidence in the Lord who is there. Well, verse 2 says, first this Apostle Peter, but then it talks about his brother Andrew. Andrew, his brother. And what can be said about Andrew uh, from the whole council of God's word? Not a lot, to be honest with you. Scriptural testimony is lacking in what this man's life looked like. To put it in perspective, the Bible mentions Peter over 150 times, Andrew's mentioned 12. Any time that the apostles are listed, Peter's first, Andrew is sometimes second or fourth. See, down the line. You know, Andrew did not get a cool nickname from Jesus. Andrew did not get to be in the inner circle of disciples who, who got to learn special things and be with Jesus. You know, he didn't get to be a part of the transfiguration like his brother Peter did. Andrew didn't get to preach revival at Pentecost. We don't have an account of Andrew walking on water. Andrew didn't get to write two books of the Bible. So what gives? I think you could look at Andrew in this list and say, well, he's of no account. His discipleship's small. It's not very useful to the Lord. And I think we would be terribly mistaken if that's our biblical assessment Of the Apostle Andrew. Andrew, before he was an apostle of Jesus, he was an apostle of John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 35, look at it, it says The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You understand, if Andrew hadn't been attentive to look for the Christ from John the Baptist's ministry, and then if Andrew hadn't been willing and eager to follow Jesus to learn from him, you wouldn't have an apostle Peter. Now, if I'm Andrew and I really think I found the Jewish Messiah, even though I don't understand fully what that means, Andrew didn't understand fully what that meant at this point. Still, he said, hey, yeah, you come back to my house and you want to hang out? I'm going. I'll tell Peter about it later. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to go to Jesus' house and learn and hang out. But Andrew does this most amazing thing. It says first he goes and he finds his brother, Peter. Andrew, from the moment he began to follow Jesus, did the thing disciples should do. Not just desire to know Christ, but to make Him known. The work of a disciple, you understand, it's not loud. It's not flashy. It's not a glamorous life. But here's what it is, and here's what Andrew was simply. He was faithful. The work of following Jesus is not to garner more attention. I want to be important I want people to think I matter. Not at all. The work of following Jesus is to know him and point other people to him. That's good discipleship. And friends, it's so often slow and often it's very invisible work. But it's the work that counts for the kingdom. It's much like farming. I don't think I could make it as a farmer. I don't think I could cut it. My hands are too soft. I couldn't do it. But you think about the work of a farmer. A farmer tirelessly works from dusk till dawn. A farmer tills up hard ground. A farmer runs into so many setbacks. A farmer has to deal with the seasons changing. He has to plant a seed. He has to wait patiently. He has to guard it. He has to tend it. And only after a long period of time does he hopefully get his yield. Now, you've never heard of somebody, have you, sneaking onto a farm, pulling out one of those stadium chairs so they can watch a farmer do his work? You've never heard of that, have you? It's because it's not glamorous. It's invisible work. Have you heard of somebody liking to eat? Yeah. It's invisible work that's so necessary. And friends, you can view the kingdom of heaven in the very same way. As parents, Chase was talking about what it means to be a godly parent. Bedtime. It's so tempting. Just like get in your bed, go to sleep, bye. Right? (laughs) Or, or. It can be a a precious time of building habits and rhythm of prayer into my children. It can be a special time uh, of getting into God's Word and and seeing how God will plant seeds that will last for the rest of their life, carving out family worship time throughout the week. And so it's not just there, so it goes for the people you work with in your life, the people uh, you live in your neighborhood, uh, family members, encounters that you don't even know about. Does it seem like a glamorous work yes but please have the eye of faith to see that's the kind of work that matters each day may seem insignificant to you but you're making an eternal impact one way or the other so there's no such thing as a boring day every day is an opportunity for kingdom faithfulness when you see it as a harvest for God's sake what's Paul saying Romans 12 it's a very popular verse Romans 12:1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice is necessarily a sacrifice. God has not called us to the praises of man, the comforts of life, personal agendas of success. What's he called us to? He's called us to knowing him and making him known. That's the great treasure. It it is to hide behind the cross. It is to decrease as Christ increases. And the reason why disciple making is so hard, why is it so sacrificial? Because you cannot love someone easily. Loving well It necessarily is a selfless task to care about someone else's soul, to tend to someone else's life. That is a selfless work that only Jesus can do in you. And where do we have a a display of what that looks like? The cross. The cross is God's display of loving other people well. It's Jesus emptied out. It's Jesus who considers other people more significant than himself. It's Jesus who made himself nothing and died so that you and I could come to life. So what can, what can faithful Christian discipleship look like if not holding out the cross to other people? hiding behind that cross, lifting up Jesus, that his life, death and resurrection would be manifested to others. And you got to fight for that truth, because we live in the time inside the church, outside the church. Success is attached to visibility. Success is attached to popularity. And hey, surely God raises up men who have really big platforms and they've got an effective ministry and praise God for that. But much more does he call people to be faithful in their own lives and nobody's ever going to hear about that. And that's wonderful too. So when you try to use man's yardstick to measure the work of the kingdom, you're going to be really successful or really, uh, you're going to be in despair and failure. But either way, it's an inaccurate measurement. You can't measure the kingdom of heaven with the measurement of man. It just doesn't work that way. But here's what we can be sure of, and I want this to be a comfort to you. I I really believe heaven is gonna be filled with a bunch of no-name disciples who are full of the glory of their Lord, who are famous in Jesus' eyes because all they did in their life was live to make Jesus famous. Paul says we are unknown yet well-known. We're unknown here. But to Christ, we will be well known there. It reminds me of Count Zinzendorf's famous quote, if you've ever heard it, it's Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's a good creed for a disciple to live by. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's the aim of the disciple. I was watching a documentary the other night of all things on bridges in America. And uh, yeah, I know, it's real exciting. But the point that the uh, narrator was making was this. Bridges, um, you don't see them because they're so ubiquitous. They're everywhere. And because they're everywhere, they're just inconspicuous. We don't notice bridges. You, you're not amazed when you go over a bridge. I went over a bridge last night over the Tennessee River, and it's just it's a part of life to get you where you need to go. Um, Jessica and I, a couple years ago, went to Washington, D.C., and I remember we went and saw the Lincoln Memorial. I don't know if you've ever gone, but it's like you go up all those steps, and you get to the top, and it's like, oh, there's a really big statue of Lincoln. Can we go eat now? I mean, that's that's (laughs) like great, great, you know. You go all that way for that. I would rather be a bridge, something that isn't outwardly beautiful or worth looking at, but I'm useful to God's kingdom in getting people to Him that may be something that looks flashy, something that looks and feels important, but doesn't make an eternal impact. Are you a parent? Are you a teacher? Whatever your job is, are you a neighbor? Are you a friend? Do you see these places as special fields that God is calling you to bring in the harvest? Ones that he will bring you account to for someday. Are you hiding behind the cross and believing that in God's kingdom, everything is upside down? In God's kingdom, small is big. So be faithful where God's put you. Steadiness, steadiness until he calls us home. Will you have a book written about you someday? Probably not. I mean, you could. I'm not trying to discourage it. But can you know the King of kings and Lord of lords? Absolutely you can. And he wants to know you. Amen. And don't take either to what I'm saying is you can be one of the big courageous people like Peter or you can be, you know, quiet like Andrew. I think to be the Andrew takes just as much courage and faith to keep on than anything else. Okay. So again, I need, I need all of Christ for all of life. Amen. Amen. I want us to look at just Matthew chapter four verse, or chapter 4 verse 18 here as we... To close. We, we looked at this last, early last year. I almost want to look back at it. And it's just, we have this account here of Jesus coming upon Peter and, and Andrew. And it says, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers Simon, who was called Peter. And Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me." I want you to see these three words here. He says, "I will make." He says, "Follow me." And I will make you fishers of men. Are you and I feeble and faulty? Absolutely. Don't don't try to cover it up. Are we oftentimes inconsistent and selfish? Oh, yes, we are. If our merit is taken into account, friend, you and I, we are done for. None can take up or complete the call. But praise God, it doesn't depend on us. It just depends on Jesus. The call of discipleship is accompanied by the grace to take it up, And make it to completion because Jesus is courageous in your place. Jesus is consistent and Jesus is faithful in our place. Friends, he said, I will do it. Jesus said, I will do it. Do you believe him? Do you believe it? That when Jesus said you will have no lack, he meant you will have no lack. You will have plenty and the plenty is Christ himself. But I want to say this to you, true belief is always followed by real obedience, and real obedience always stems from true belief. If we believe that, we're not going to sit back and say, great, I can just do what I want and God's going to forgive me nor are we going to have anxiety and fear about reaching the end. We're just going to go enjoy because I know as I'm going and I don't understand that God's power and his mystery and his sovereignty how it works. all I know is Jesus said just follow me and be faithful and despite your failures and despite what you don't understand if you truly look at Christ and you see him as life itself and you believe in him he will be your power he will be your goodness he will be your food he will be your drink he will be enough for you along the way and as much as Christ is enough for us now. Oh, how he will satisfy us when we see him face to face someday. Friend, if you've got the call, follow Christ's promises by his own work on the cross. You will make it to the end. Nothing should give you courage. Nothing should give you passion. Nothing should give you a desire to die to yourself and live in Christ than those blessed words from Jesus to you. Do you believe those words? Have you taken up that call? then let us live by grace and run till we reach the very end. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would just remind us in this moment, remind us time and time again it's not about us, It's not about us. How much we think we understand. How how much good we think we've done. How much we've failed. Lord, I pray you would just give us a fresh vision of the Christ who is perfect. The Christ who is satisfying. The Christ who is enough. Oh, and in our believing, the Spirit would move us to live a life of radical obedience and joy. So don't let us be satisfied with the things of this world. Don't let us be happy to just be here, live for the moment, but to keep our eyes set on the day when we will see You and Your Son in glory. I pray that would be all we have. I pray that would be our only hope, Lord. And it's nothing that we can do, so we just ask, Lord, that Your Spirit would just plant that Word deep on our hearts. Lord, I pray that if we are in a season of despair, we just feel like we're failing, and we're just not enough. I just pray that these words would be a reminder: Jesus is enough for us. We can rejoice in Him. Lord. You are a holy, God. You are a good, God. And we just want to truly be fully surrendered to you in these moments. I invite you just to stay with us as we.